Thank you for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We are currently in the series, Nailed It. We hope it's a blessing to you. Welcome back to Nailed It. I started the series last week, and even if you're not into history, even if that's not something you really enjoy, I think looking back on the Reformation and that whole time frame is vitally important for us as a faith community. And the reason it's vitally important for us is that without the Reformation, churches like Valley Point may not exist. So in a real way, and I want you to hear this, in a real way, our story and what we're doing today and how we teach and how we function and how we reach the communities around us, our story is attached to their story. 500 years ago, there were some brave men and women who took a stand for truth, and that is still impacting us. To this day, it's still impacting us. So welcome back to Nailed It. I want to share with you our walking path for today. I'm going to begin by sharing some context and just reviewing for a little bit. And then I have a big idea to share with you. And our big idea today involves the word grace. Now, that's kind of a churchy word. I get it. I know that. But grace, it's a beautiful word. It's a great word, and it's good news for each and every one of us. So we're going to have a lot of fun thinking about this church word called grace, and that'll come out in our big idea. And then I'm going to jump into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Oh my goodness, this is like an unbelievable paragraph of Scripture. And we're going to see grace just come to life out of these verses, and I think you're going to be impressed and amazed at what God offers to each and every one of us. So if you don't have a favorite paragraph of scripture yet, I think after today, Ephesians 2, it's amazing, and that just might become your favorite piece of scripture. And then a little red bull. Now, some of you may have been wondering, Pasta, what's up in the can up there? What you got going on today? Well, this is a can of Red Bull, and we're going to get to that in just a moment because uniquely, Martin Luther and the Reformation, there may be a tie. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. And then after we talk about Red Bull, I've got some practical takeaways for you. Okay, does that make sense? Everybody with me so far? Let's begin with a little bit of context and review. In 1517, a monk a religiously trained individual by the name of Martin Luther launched what became known as the Reformation when he nailed the 95 theses or his statements of concern with how the church was functioning to a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, here's something to keep in mind. That's how they communicated back in the day. If they wanted to get word out about something, they would post it somewhere. And what better place than a church door to post concerns you may have about the church. And so Martin Luther did that. Now, there were several events before 1517 and the posting of the 95 Theses that led to the Reformation, but really, in essence, it began with that posting on that church door. Martin Luther was a professor. He was a theologian. He loved to dive into Scripture. And while he was doing that, he began to ask some really big questions. 
Like, what is salvation? And how does a person get saved? How does that even happen? What is the gospel? What is that? And what does it mean for us? And what is grace? Some really big questions that he asked. What is salvation? What is the gospel? What is grace? Well, those questions rattled the religious status quo of his day because you weren't supposed to ask questions. You just didn't do that. You followed whatever was in front of you. That's just the way it was. But Martin Luther asked some pretty tough questions. And here's what happened as a result of all of that. People listened to each other. They came together. They submitted to scripture and its authority. And they began to make changes in the church that brought the church out of the dark ages. Well, here's what you need to know. (laughs) None of that actually happened, all right? It would be nice if that were the case. But people didn't listen to each other. They didn't submit to the authority of what was being taught from Scripture. And the church at this time did not come out of the Dark Ages. Instead, Martin Luther and the other reformers were mocked. They were chased. They were imprisoned. And many gave their lives for the truths that they were fighting for. We have to remember, during this time, during the medieval time, There was no such thing as religious freedom. We enjoy that today and take that for granted, but it didn't exist in Europe in 1517. You were whatever religion they told you to be. And everybody was generally, okay, that's what I'll be and that's what I'll do because to question that or to go against that was certainly a death sentence. The reformers seemed to be okay with that. And again, many of them did give their lives for truth. Some were burned at the stake. Others were drowned. It was a really tough time. Some bad things happened to people who stood for the truth of Scripture. But there's something else that came out of this time frame. As the Reformers were studying and sharing and debating and printing and getting word out about what Scripture actually said there were five different statements or beliefs that began to frame the Reformation. These statements became known as solas. Sola is a Latin word which means alone or only. And so these were declarations of faith, these solas, these statements. They were declarations of faith that didn't need to be accompanied by anything else. They could stand on their own. What were these solas? Well, sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, and soli deo gloria. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. And again, these statements became the rallying cry of the reformers. Now, last week we talked about sola scriptura. And we began with that because I really believe that's where it started with the reformers. They fell in love all over again with the word of God and what they found there changed them. And they just knew. I mean, as they dove into scripture and they read, they just knew that scripture alone had the ability to answer some of life's toughest questions. Like what is salvation? And how does a person get saved? What is the gospel 
and what is grace and other questions like that. And so they began to cry, sola scriptura, scripture alone. It has the ability to help us and inform us. Today, I want to introduce to you the next sola, which is sola gratia or grace alone. So we're going to think about grace today. And this is very exciting because grace, well, it's unbelievable. It really is. And it's something that is good news for all of us and should make us smile. So go ahead and smile. Can you do that this morning? Great. All right. Sola gratia. Let's think through this. And I would encourage you to get your talk notes ready and fill in some blanks as we walk through our time together. Get your Bible ready or your device as we jump into Ephesians chapter 4 in just a moment. Let me share our big idea with you. God's grace, this is our word, God's grace, here it is. It's rich, beautiful, and beyond what I deserve, yet he, speaking of God, he offers it to me. Great news, right? Because whenever I get something that I don't deserve, that's always a good thing. And that is the grace of God. It is rich and beautiful and beyond what I deserve, yet he offers it to me. So watch this come to life now in Ephesians chapter 4. I would encourage you to find that in your Bible or on your device. Ephesians is a book in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul, who was a prolific writer of Scripture. And he was writing to a church in the city of Ephesus. He's writing to believers and he's trying to encourage them. And one of the topics is grace, our word for today. So Ephesians chapter four, you follow along. Ephesians chapter two, excuse me. I'm going to begin reading with verse four. Here's what it says. But God is so rich in mercy. Pause. As we think about the grace of God, It all begins with him. And we need to keep that in mind. God's grace is rich and beautiful and beyond what we deserve, yet he offers it to us. The reason he does that, we need to remember this, is because God is so rich in mercy. That word rich there means he has a large amount of this, which is good. So God has a large amount of mercy. I'm thankful for that. I'm sure you are as well. The verse goes on to say, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, right? I have a sin problem. I do. You have a sin problem. Scripture makes that very clear. We all have that in common. We have a sin problem, but yet here's what Ephesians 2 is telling us. He loved us so much That even though we were dead because of our sins, here it comes, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Now here's a little commentary. It is only by God's, say the word with me church, grace. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. There's our word. The word grace, and we're going to see it a few more times here. That word grace comes from the Greek word charis, which means kindness, or it also has the idea of 
undeserved favor directed to someone. So when you think about grace, think of the word, the Greek word charis. It is kindness or favor to someone. So we could read the verse this way. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's kindness. It is only by God's favor that we receive this, that you have been saved. This is great. Verse six, four, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his, say it with me, grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now get verse eight. Here's what it says. God saved you by his grace. So that's the third time that we have this word charis in the text. It's the third time we have the word grace. And it's almost like the apostle is just pounding away. Grace, grace, grace. Just get it, church. It is rich and beautiful and you don't deserve it, but yet God offers grace. He's pounding away kindness, 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 favor, favor, favor. Now notice the rest of the verse. God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his kindness, by his favor. That's the word charis. God saved you by his grace. Here's how it is triggered. When you believe. Not when you work towards but when you believe. And for the reformers, this concept of grace not being something that you earn or get or achieve through your goodness, but it's something freely given by a God who loves became so clear to them. But keep in mind, this is very different than what the medieval church was teaching at the time. They were teaching, if you want the grace of God, If you want his favor and if you want his kindness, well, then you will have to do stuff. You will have to put in some kind of effort. The best way to describe how the church felt at this time is that grace is real. They wouldn't have denied that. Grace is real. It's true. It's a thing. But it is only given to those who are fit for it which is kind of an interesting concept. And I think it brings up the question, well, how do you get fit for grace then? (laughs) Because God's favor, his kindness, sounds like an amazing thing. I would like to have that. So how can I get fit for the grace of God? And the medieval church said, you get it by doing your best. It's about what you can accomplish in order to earn the favor of God. They almost viewed grace like a spiritual can of Red Bull. It enabled you, it gave you energy to somehow win the favor and the smile of God. It was something that you could do to become fit 
for God to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and give you my grace because of what you have done. Okay, Red Bull. I have a can here. Now, I don't think I've ever had Red Bull in my life. I don't really drink this stuff. It is an energy drink. That's what they say. And so as I began to research and think about the reformers, almost talking about how grace, this charis from God, favor and kindness, it's not something that you can drink that somehow energizes you. I thought I'd go to the Red Bull website and just find out what is this energy drink really all about and what does it offer. So here's the deal. If you go to the website, it will tell you this. Red Bull gives you wings when you need them. Wow. Like, I wouldn't mind that. When I read that, I thought this would have really changed the movie It's a Wonderful Life for Clarence. Like all that time with George Bailey and trying to save him, he just needed a little bit of Red Bull and he could have had his wings. Here's what else the website says. It vitalizes body and mind. That sounds good too. And then it even tells you when to drink it. So here's the list. You can drink it on the road, during lectures and study sessions, at work, while doing sports, playing video games, or going out day or night. When you go to the Red Bull website, it almost sounds like the fountain of youth, doesn't it? Like, this would be a great thing. It gives me wings, it gives me energy, and I can concentrate and accomplish all kinds of things. Now, there is one thing they left out on the website, though. They left out, when building Valley Point's future home, be sure to drink a lot of Red Bull when you are under construction. I want to let you know, I walked through the building the other day, and here's what I found on the floor of our future home. (laughs) Red Bull. And I'm like, this is wonderful. So they've got wings. That means in 11 more Sundays, we're going to be able to move in and they're going to accomplish everything we need them to because they are infused with energy. Red Bull, bottom line. It's something that energizes you to accomplish or to do. And that was kind of the view of grace back in the 16th century. You had to get it somehow. You had to be fit. You could drink this, and if you drank that, you would have the ability somehow to accomplish a little bit more and earn the favor of God. But for the reformers, they studied scripture and they came to the conclusion, this is not something that you can earn. It is not something that you can do. God's charis, his kindness... His favor is something that he gives to us through simple belief. So for the reformers, grace isn't something to achieve. It's something to receive. And we receive it through simple belief in the work of Jesus. Now, here's another question. Why simple belief? Because that almost sounds too easy. Like there has to be something that we do in order to earn God's favor and kindness. We have to do something. Why simple belief and or faith? Well, we find that in verse 8. Here it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And here's why it's through simple faith. So that you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. We all understand the concept of gifts, right? 
You don't really earn them. They're given to you. Grace is a gift from God. You can't take credit for it. Verse 9. Salvation then. Remember the reformers. What is salvation? And how do I get it? Verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. And here's why it comes by simple faith and belief. So that none of us can boast about it. There's nothing that I contribute to my salvation. There's nothing that we can contribute. Grace alone. It's all God. It's all God and what he offers to us through the person of Jesus and simple belief in him is what triggers this forever friendship with God. It's all God. All God. There's nothing that I can contribute to this. The reformers believe this deeply. That's why they said sola, gratia, grace alone, grace alone. Let me share some thinking points with you. Number one, God offers grace and we need it due to our sin problem. Okay, that's great news for all of us. God offers grace and I need it and you need it because of our sin problem. Secondly, we sinners cannot take credit for God's grace. He makes that explicitly clear in Ephesians chapter 2. You can't take credit for this. It's all God. All God. We need this, again, because of our sin problem, but we can't take credit for God's grace. Thirdly, God's grace is a gift. It's a gift. It's something we receive through simple faith, and the reason it comes by faith is so that we can't take credit for God's gift of salvation by saying, well, here's what I did. Here's what I achieved. Here's what I stacked up in order to earn the smile of God. Red Bull, Red Bull doesn't work. Grace alone. Grace alone. Okay, part of our mission as a church is to point people to real relationships. I want everybody who walks through the doors of this place to know that you can have a real and lasting and forever friendship with God. That is something that you can enjoy. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to assume it may happen for you based on behavior because we've already talked about it's grace alone. Red Bull doesn't stack up. It doesn't work. I want everybody who walks through this place to know you can have a real and lasting and forever friendship with God and that comes through grace alone in the person of Jesus. Three takeaways. Number one, if you're trying to earn the favor of God, stop. All right? Just stop it. You can't earn it. Now, that doesn't mean we do good things for God. He wants that for us. But in terms of our salvation and trying to earn his forever friendship, we can't. We can't. We can't be infused with anything. It is by belief alone. And so if you're, if you're trying to earn the favor of God, like if I just do a little bit more, if I read a little bit more, if I give a little bit more, certainly God will smile at me. And when I get to the end of my life, the good stuff will outweigh the bad stuff. Just stop. Stop. You can't earn this. It's freely given, which is really good news 
for all of us. Secondly, take the gift. Take the gift. If you've never trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you, take the gift. It's what God offers to each and every one of us, and you can enjoy a forever friendship with him, and I'm going to walk you through that during my closing prayer time. Take the gift if you never have. Forget about Red Bull. Can't be done. Take the gift. Take the gift. Thirdly, God is extremely generous. How can you thank him? Maybe you've walked through all of this and you get God's grace and you're basking in that and enjoying that. Let's not forget God is so extremely generous. How can we thank him? I want to go back to our text for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let this ring in your mind. And don't forget about the big idea. God's grace is rich and beautiful and beyond what we deserve, yet... He offers it to us. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Sola. Grazia. Grace. Alone. Father, we come before you on this Sunday and we're so grateful for a very dynamic paragraph of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. Wow! It's just incredible because it outlines for us what the Reformers 500 years ago wrestled with and that is grace is not something that you can earn or drink or have or get. It is truly a gift from God. It's his kindness and his favor, and it is triggered not by our stuff, but by our belief in the person of Jesus. And so, God, I just pray right now, that you would help each and every one of us to just be overwhelmed in a good way with the true grace of God and what he offers to us. We're so grateful, so grateful today for the grace that God provides. And I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you're here and you're thinking in your mind, I want that gift. If I don't have to be fit for it, maybe you're recognizing, I I know I'm not because of things that have happened in my life. I'm not fit for it, but yet God offers his kindness and his favor to me. I want that. Then I would just encourage you in the quietness of this hour, from your heart to God's ears, you pray to him. You have a conversation with him. That's all that prayer is. A simple conversation. And in the quietness of this moment, you just cry out to him and acknowledge the reality that you are a sinner. And you know you fall short of God's standard of perfection. We can't measure up to that. 
Just tell him. He already knows that about us, but I think he loves to hear from his children when they're ready to acknowledge this. Let him know you've messed up your life. It's not perfect. It's not all put together. And that you want his forgiveness and his leadership in your life. Just talk to him about that, wanting that, needing it. Ask him to come into your life and save you and rescue you. Ask him for that. God makes it very clear. He doesn't turn anyone away. He can't do that because of his love for us. And then thank him for his grace. You're believing in that right now. You're trusting in the work of Jesus and his death and his resurrection for you. Thank him for the work of Christ and his grace, his kindness, his favor to you. Thank him for that. And ask him to lead you your head still bowed and your eyes closed, if that's a prayer you've offered up for the very first time, I want to say congratulations to you and welcome to a great big faith community of people who have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue them. You've taken the gift. Congratulations. I think this will be one of the greatest days of your life. Be sure to communicate that with someone. Hey, today I took the gift. September 2017, that gift is mine. I trusted in Jesus alone. Maybe you're here and that's a choice you've made at some point. But you've forgotten a little bit about the beauty and the depths of God's grace and how incredible it really is. And you've just gone about life and you're not very thankful to God or at least you haven't been recently, would you just take a moment and express thanks to him for what he has offered to you? Thank him. Be grateful. God, I want to thank you for this time today. We're looking at some events that happened a long time ago. 500 years ago, there was a group of reformers who dove into scripture and said, we got to get back to this. What God's word says above tradition, above what humans say, we need to hear God's voice and then live that out in our lives. And they did that. And it led to the cry of grace alone, grace alone. And today we're basking in that. We're rejoicing in what you offer. God, for all of those who, for the very first time, trusted in you and they took the gift of Jesus, they responded to your grace. I pray that you would encourage them and help them to be bright lights as they move from this place. God, for all of us, I ask that your grace would change how we look at others how we respond to the relationships that are in our lives, at work, at school, where we play. 
God, use us to be trophies of your grace as you talk about in Ephesians chapter 2. Help us, we do pray now, to live out sola gratia. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.